Ah, did you guys enjoy just being in the presence of the Lord? That was so good. Carolina, you and the worship team just did such a phenomenal job, and I know they're listening. Um, We just want to be so thankful. I pulled up this morning. It was time change morning, you know, and so we're here a little earlier than normal, right? And I see that parking lot full of the worship team, and they're here rehearsing. And I just was blessed by their faithfulness to our church, you know? Uh, they are just uh, one of that volunteer team that probably puts in more hours than most, and they just are here early. They stay through two services. They practice on Thursday, and uh, man, we are just blessed. Guys, are you just, are you just joyful and, and thankful? I'm, I'm, so we are in the last week, oh, hey, look at that. I was like wondering where my Bible went. I was like, well, <laughs> so thank, thank you, Jason. <laughs> uh, we're in the last week in our series on prayer. And I, I pray that this series has impacted your prayer life. I pray that there have been Sundays you've just wanted to go home and just pray, right? Like just try out, hey, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray some big prayers, some mountain moving prayers. I wanna pray, pray some prayers that maybe I've never prayed before with some vulnerability, some rawness. Um, man, with my brothers and sisters, um, I hope that it's kind of moved the needle for you a little bit and that you start to really just dive into prayer. Uh, as we've been saying, it's not so much what happens on Sunday, but what happens on Monday that really, really says that, that what happened was really moving us in a new direction. And I pray that it really has been. We've been um, really kind of looking at this series from a few different angles, and today's our last sermon in this series. And I really want to talk about the purpose of prayer. And we want to we want to kind of wrap it up with just really one more important thought, and I pray that it really impacts you. Um, if you've been kind of uh, the other day, I was um, see which which remote do I use now? <laughs> uh, the other day, I was kind of walking on the prayer walk, and I just had one of those moments where I just kind of just kind of had to laugh, you know, where God just kind of reveals something about <laughs> yourself, myself, right? And you're just like, oh Lord. I love you. I'm so sorry. You know, you kind of say that, right? And what it, what it kind of revealed to me is is how how much I need to grow in in certain areas, right? And, and in this particular area, it was in the area of worrying so much. Um, I'd been on this mission trip, and we, you know, in a foreign country, I got my daughter, I got my wife, you know. And there are so many times on this trip that I have these intrusive, anxious thoughts. You know, that something's going to happen, and on this trip, and and I'm with my girls, and I'm. I'm thinking to myself, like, now I'm on the other side of the trip, and I'm just like on this prayer walk, and it's almost like God was like, hey, what did all that worrying do for you anyway, you know? What was, what was you know, why did you do all that worrying? Why did you spend so much time with those anxious thoughts, those intrusive thoughts? And, and I got this uh, kind of picture just for a minute. You, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry. You know when um, you meet someone or you have an encounter with someone, and you just say, you just think, maybe you don't say it, unless they're your kid. <laughs> but you say, man, when you just grow up, like, I wish you just kind of grow up a little bit, right? Their immaturity a little bit, like, kind of irritates you or just it just frustrates you. It's like, come on, man, just grow up a little bit, right? It's not that big of a deal. You're making such a big deal out of something. And there's just something that experience and going through life just kind of trains you in and you kind of realize, you know what, I need a little more grit or I need a little more patience or honestly, I need to worry less because worrying doesn't really do anything anyway. And I had one of those moments where I'm like, Lord, I want you just to transform me. 
I, I want you just to keep me on this journey to where I really am growing. And that's exactly kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the way that prayer over time transforms you. Uh, we always talk about praying for things. And we've done that in this, in this series. We talk about praying for different things. And, and, and I think that's important. I think Jesus taught, teaches us that in the Sermon on the Mount and in the, in the section about the Lord's Prayer, right? About praying for our daily bread. But I don't want to just, just focus on how we should pray for things because I think there's more to it than that. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and there's still a little cynicism in your heart about prayer. Uh, and, and I want to acknowledge that. Maybe, maybe it's like, you know, is it really, does it really matter? Does it really change anything? I mean, if God knows everything, right? Like, does it really make a difference? And we've been talking about that in this series. And I want to say it does make a difference. It absolutely makes a difference. I want to say this. We had 67 people here at 820 praying for the services. Friends, that's going to make a difference. I believe that. No one could convince me otherwise that when people gather in earnest prayer with each other, things are going to change. I don't know what God's going to do. I was telling this in the first service. I just want to grab some popcorn and like watch because he's about to do some crazy things. When that kind of movement of God's people start to happen, you're going to see things change, right? So prayer does change things. Prayer does uh, take things in new directions. But I want to I wanna look at really and truly, how does prayer not just change things, but how does prayer change me? What does that process look like? What does it look like for God to actually change me in prayer? And like all change, it doesn't happen in this lightning microwave experience. It's more of this slow and steady, drip by drip, prayer by prayer transformation. I believe this. Let me say this really clear on the beginning of this message. People who consistently pray in the same direction, fervently in the presence of God, will be transformed, period. It is impossible to pray that way and not be changed. I've never met someone who prays like that consistently in the same direction for God's presence in their, in, in their life and them not be transformed in the process. Prayer always changes the person praying. And so I want to look at something that Paul writes in Romans 8, because if you're like me and you have those moments where God just kind of reveals weakness in you and you're like, God, I just want to, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to grow in this. Then this sermon is for you. Okay. So if you've already kind of arrived, then you probably need to find a better church because we are not that church. We are not those people that have already arrived. Like we're all on the journey together. So I'm just preaching. I'm hoping to a group of people that still see there's need for change in their life. And we still have some room to go. Right. And so that's who I'm talking to this this morning. So here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter eight. And I want you to see this. He says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Who wants the spirit to help you in your weakness? Yeah, that's me, right? The spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless Grown. So the, the, the context of what we're going to read this morning is this helplessness that we feel sometimes, this weakness that we feel sometimes in our journey. It could be helplessness with a, with a situation. It could be helplessness or, or a sense of weakness with our own self, like, oh, I did it again. 
I stepped right back into that same, you know, like besetting sin or I, that same weak point. I, I, let, I let the enemy trip me up again or, or whatever that is. You're in that state. And Paul wants to tell you this morning that in that situation, you have the spirit there to help you. And the spirit's gonna intercede for you. And I wanna, I wanna give you a mental picture for a minute. I want you to be over here and I want you to be in this weak state where you need help. And I want you to imagine the Holy Spirit grabbing your hand. And he's right there and he's holding your hand and you're at this lower position. But the Holy Spirit has this other hand and the other hand is on the Father's hand. And the Holy Spirit is in this position right here where he's holding you and holding the Father and he's in this intercession state between you and the Father. And he starts to speak because you're in a place where you don't even know what to say, right? You're like, oh, you're just kind of frustrated. You're just weak. You're scared. You're anxious. Whatever the, 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 the emotional state, whatever the situation, maybe you've just got a bad diagnosis. Maybe you're just afraid of the future. Maybe you have a situation at work that you just have no, no control over or, or a situation in your family you're just frustrated with. And you're just like, oh, I don't even know what to say. I've, just been, I've, I've run out of words, right? And so you're in this state and the Holy Spirit grabs your hand. And the Holy Spirit grabs the Father's hand. And there's like this spiritual connection. And all of a sudden, there's these groans, these wordless groans, these groans that can't be um, uh, uh, translated, whatever word you want to use here, to express that the, the, there's, this, there's, this, there's this language that's happening. Can I tell you something? That God doesn't need to be able to speak audibly or speak with words for him to speak to you that the Holy Spirit can even bypass your, your prefrontal cortex, right? He can just move even around your mind and hit you right in the heart. Like he knows how to speak to you at the deepest place that you would almost say isn't language. It's just somehow just communication, right? He just knows you that way. He searches your heart. In fact, that's what the very next verse says. Look at this. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So you have this interesting thing that Paul says, as the Holy Spirit's holding you and holding the Father in this intercession role, that all of a sudden there's this, there's this flow, guys, check this out, this flow from the Father into your heart through the spirit. And the, and the, and the text says that he's the searcher of our heart. That's an interesting name for God. It's really a name. He who searches our heart, the heart searcher. Have you ever thought of God as the heart searcher? This is a, an interesting image that we he have here. In fact, there's a proverb in, in the Jewish literature that speaks about this. And look what this proverb says, verse chapter 20. It says, God's light or the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit. Look at this, exposing every hidden motive. In fact, uh, commentators say that, that this image, this heart search image where the Father's searching our hearts or with the light penetrating our spirit should be, it's, it's like this image of a, ca a like a cavern or, a, or a, a, a cave. And someone's in that cave, a dark cave with a torch, a lit torch. And he is just, is, is just like shining like little lights on the edge of the cave, the dark recesses of that cave. And, and with that torch, just kind of going around the walls. And as the torch moves in that dark cave, like more of the walls are illuminated and, and exposed. 
And that's kind of what the image is, is, is God takes the light that he is into our dark hearts and he begins to illuminate the walls of our hearts to see what's written on it. What's written deep in our hearts. You know, I was talking to our, our team in Guatemala and I was saying, you know, guys, there's a passage in James that scares me. Because James is talking about being a hearer of the word, but not a doer. About somebody who sees a mirror and notices there's needs to be changed. You know, there's changes that are needed, right? But then you leave and you don't change anything. You hear the word, you don't do the word. And James says that someone who is like that deceives himself. And I said, that should scare all of us. In fact, if there was one thing I wish that that God would take away from the human race, it would be the capacity for self-deception. The reason why is because self-deception is so dangerous because when you're deceived, when you've deceived yourself, right, you have no capacity to even realize where you're at, right? Like if I'm deceiving you, I kind of know, right? I know that I, oh, I told him I was at work last week when I actually, you know, and you're kind of keeping the ruse going, right? But when you're deceived and you've deceived yourself and you're the one doing the deceiving, like you literally don't even know. Talk about a dark cave. And that's why I need the heart searcher. Come on, somebody. That's why I need the torch to light up the recesses of my heart that are hidden even to me. God, search my heart. The heart searcher. The heart searcher. And so it says here, he says, exposing every motive. Go back to, um, go back to Romans. Look what he says. So the next verse is, and he who searches, yeah, we can go back to 27 just to get a little context, go back one. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with his will or with the will of God. Now 28, look what he says in verse 28. And we know that in all things, let's all say it, God works. God works. Who wants God to do some work? Who needs, let me put it this way. Who needs God to do some work? Okay, raise your hand if you're married to someone that you know God needs to work on. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'll just see if you're listening. All right. <laughs> Marriage counseling to follow. Okay, here's the point, okay? We need God to work, right? We need God to work. What's really interesting about this word work, it's the word synergeo in the Greek, and it means it's where we get the word synergy from. And what that word means is it's not just God get out of the way. You know, people think, hey, God's going to get me out of the way so he can get to work. That's not the word here. The word is, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work in conjunction with your agency. I'm actually going to need you to cooperate so we can get our work done. God doesn't say, hey, get out of the way so I can finally get to work. He says, hey, let me invite me in so that we can work, let's all say it, together. You with me today? So this text is saying, look, when I bring my brokenness to the God, when I bring my weakness to God in prayer, and I'm just such, so helpless, it's like I have no energy to work. I have no strength to work. I can't move this situation. So I just bring it to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit grabs my hand, grabs the Father's hands. This searching happens of my heart, flowing from the Father. The, the hidden motives of my heart are being exposed. And God says, okay, Brad, let's get to work. Because a man, a woman who's transformed by my power and transformed by my grace can start to see powerful things start to shift and happen in the world. All things are gonna start to work together for those who love God. That's the power of God's work. Look what the very next verse says. 
In verse 29, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined, look at this, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, that's the work God wants to do in our life. He wants to do that conforming image work in our heart where we become more and more and more like Jesus, less and less and less worried about things in this world, less and less and less faithless, less and less and less struggling with everything that we struggle with and more and more like Jesus. Let me say this to you guys. Prayer changes you. Okay? So here's the next part. So pray until you change. Can I say that to you today? Right? Like, I'm telling you guys, prayer changes you. Prayer changes me. Prayer changes your spouse. Prayer changes you. Prayer changes people. All right? So pray until you're changed. Well, I've, I've tried that. I've tried that praying stuff. Oh, did you really? <laughs> Can I just slap you? It's like that immature thing, right? Oh, I tried that. I, you know, listen, it is, this, it is this, it is this disciplined life. This is I pick up the cross and I follow Jesus. And even in the picking of the cross, God, give me the strength to pick the cross up. Maybe right now the first prayer is the prayer that says, Lord, I don't want to pray. So give me the strength to pray. God, I'm so weak right now, literally, like I'm so here right now that I actually need help praying right? I need, I need prayer. My first prayer is for the help to pray. Like literally that's where we need to be with God sometimes. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter four. I think this is so powerful about how prayer literally changes us. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I want to talk for a second about how badly we need this verse. Because I would say that we are living in a crisis of anxiety in our culture today. They say that the pandemic already took an already anxious people and just turned us on fire with anxiety. They say 41%, think about how big that number is, 41% of Americans, according to the Pew Research Center, have experienced high levels, high levels of psychological distress and anxiety during this pandemic and afterward. And it's no wonder, right? It's one thing after another, after another. If it's not the pandemic, it's the political climate. If it's not the political climate, it's the fear of a recession or whatever else. It's, it's one thing after another, after another. But even more, I think, startling than that stat is about our teenage girls. Teenagers in general, but teenage girls are experiencing what you could call an epidemic of, of, of anxiety in their, in their, in their age gra- graphic, that, that demographic. They say that 60% of adolescent girls have experienced and are experiencing persistent sadness and hopelessness. And 30% have seriously considered suicide, 30%. I I can't even get my mind around how big that number is. Three in 10 girls are seriously considering suicide today. And we probably, if we just had time to talk about it, we probably all know someone, not even, you know, teenage girls, but people in our social circles that have found themselves in the last couple of years so depressed, so down, so just lost that they are feeling the same way. I was talking on the phone to someone just this week who had a coworker very concerned about this person. I don't know him, but, but I was asked to give him a call. Sure enough, considering suicide. 
It's just all over our culture. Can I suggest we learn to pray? Can I suggest that God is interested in how we are feeling and that God cares about our anxieties and that if we would just learn to turn those instead of internalizing those, but instead turn those to the Lord, that God could do something about this? I believe that there's so much power available to us in prayer. Look what Paul says. So in 4.6, he talked about, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. But look at the next verse. Look what verse eight, seven says. He says, then, so after the prayer and the thanksgiving, right? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't sound so modern today, I don't know what does. Imagine this, Paul is literally speaking to these anxious minds and saying, do you want somebody to guard those intrusive thoughts? Do you want someone to protect your mind from that, that, that constant barrage of anxiety and depression? Learn to pray. But I wanna point out something about this. In verse six, he said, you know, uh, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. And then thank God. And then in verse seven, he says, then you will experience God's peace. I want to point out what he doesn't write, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say after you pray about everything that your life will get worked out, that things will go your way, right? That the thing that has you bothered and anxious is going to go away. Like magically, God will just take away your problems. That is not what verse seven says. Instead, verse seven says, that after you pray and you're thankful to the Lord in that prayer, that you will then experience peace. This is fascinating. Your situation didn't change, change you did. The problems didn't go away, but you faced them in a different way, right? The thing that verse seven is promising isn't a peaceful life, but a peaceful experience in your inner life. This is a powerful thing for us to remember is that God never says, I'm gonna just make the pathway clean for you and, and straight for you. I'm gonna make it all go away, all your problems when you pray. That's not what we're promised. We're promised the peace of God that will pass all of our understanding. That will, as it says here, exceeds anything we can understand. In fact, I would suggest that a, a peace like that implies the problems remain. For example, let me say, let's say you're, you really were stressed about money. And so you pray, and then the very next day, you hit the lottery, okay? And you're like, man, I'm not, I don't worry about money anymore, right? I wouldn't say, man, the peace that you're experiencing passes all understanding. I don't understand why you're so peaceful. No, I would totally understand why you are not worried about money anymore. You are a millionaire now, right? That, that, that would not change, you know, that would not be that amazing, right? But if the problems that cause the anxiety are still in your life. And yet instead of anxious worry, you find this resolution and this peace in your heart. That passes understanding. Your problems didn't change, but your heart did. Your problems didn't go away, but God's peace came into your life. I just want to say something that, you know, as I was thinking through the things that trigger my anxiety, I'm going to kind of let you in on some of my, <laughs> my struggles. I, like I told you, I was on this, on this trip to Guatemala and I was like, oh, but what if something happens to my daughter? Or what if we get in this car crash? And, you know, what is the, can I just tell you all the stuff? Like, <laughs> what is the first responder situation like here? Does 911 work here? I could go on and on and on, okay? Um, 
Friends, listen, I, I should have a master's degree in anxiety. I really should, because I spend enough time with it. The thing about it is, right, I, I can get all worked up in what might happen. And I get these, these things that trigger it, right? And I don't know what your triggers are. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it's the fact that my daughter is driving now, right? And she's 16, and I don't think she drives great, right? And she's not here right now, so I can say it. She's somewhere else. But like, I'm, I worry about that. Like, okay, you know, I, guys, I have to tell you, I have an app on my phone. My phone, it's called Live 360. I follow Taryn around on the phone. And I want to make sure the car's still in motion. Like, it's not stopped some, for some weird reason in the middle of the road. Like, you know, this is the, these, these are the things, right? These are the things, right? So this is why I go on this prayer walk and I say, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> when will I stop worrying? What are your triggers? Is it the fact that you are on a fixed income? And at some moment, some new expense could come up out of nowhere and that will definitely take you down a road of anxiety? Is it, is it a, an illness that you may have overcome, but now you're just always worried about a new diagnosis? Is it a relationship that you just feel so anxious about because you have no idea the person's maybe not very stable and at any minute they can create conflict or confusion or chaos in your home? and you're constantly on edge, what if we could honestly let the heart searcher into that secret space? Look at Psalms 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Look what he says here. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Yeah. What if we just said, Lord, instead of fighting my anxiety, instead of trying to, like, manage anxiety? What if I just said, okay, Lord, I'm feeling an anxious thought right now. And in this exact moment, I'm praying. Holy Spirit, grab my little weak hand. Father, intercede. Oh God, would you just flow work into my heart and start to transform it? Because God, I am a professional worrier. Can I tell you what the lie is behind anxiety? Can I tell you what you're really doing when you worry? Can I tell me what I'm really doing when I worry? Worrying is my attempt at playing God. I'm trying to control the future. Because I think if I worry enough, if I think enough about what might happen, I can prepare for it. I can get ahead of it. Guys, some of us have thought about what will I do if my wife dies? How will I respond? What will I do if my child dies? How will I respond? How will I react when the worst thing I can think of happens? And I can sit there and I can, I can think through what might happen and how I might need to respond and what I could do to prepare for it. And I can spend all of my days pretending I can control the future when guess what? I can't and neither can you. And we weren't made to. Guys, my shoulders are not big enough. My heart is not strong enough to control this world. And when I try to do it through worrying, through trying to anticipate, I'm robbing myself of the peace that could be mine if I would just pray to the one who is in control of the future. Look what it says in Psalms 131. I hope this ministers to you. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. 
I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed myself. I've quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for his mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child, my soul within me. We need to grow up. Stop trying to play God. Stop trying to control the future by worrying. Stop letting all of tomorrow's worries steal you from the mission of today. Stop investing emotional energy in things that will probably never happen. And so in that way, living always in tomorrow and not being present in today. Stop with the anxiousness. Let the heart searcher come into your life and just light it up for you and then bring peace where there's anxiety. Who wants some of that in their life? Guys, let me say this. Prayer shapes us. So I spent most of the sermon talking about what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't worry. I want to spend five minutes and just put a seed in your heart about what your life could be. I was in in Guatemala and I was with my students and I said one day to them, I said, guys, let me tell you something a professor told me that I never forgot in one of my classes. He said this, he said, you know, guys, so many times our hearts are are disordered. And what, what it is, is we end up caring about things we shouldn't care about. And then we don't care about things we should care about. He says, sometimes we get angry about things, really, that that don't matter. And then we don't even feel anger when we should feel anger about things we should get worried about or bothered about. I said, guys, we've been in this country, and there's been kids without water, and there's been kids without clothing, and there's been situations that are just unfair, and there's just so much need in this country, and there's need in this whole world, and there's need in our, our city. There's need all around us. But the fact is, so many times, we're so concerned and preoccupied with our little lives and our little worlds, and we're anxious, like we've been talking about in this sermon, about so many things that we don't even have emotional energy or time to actually think about things that we actually should be thinking about. And I want to show you where Jesus does this because I think this is so powerful. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus says these words. He goes to the towns and the villages and he's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he's healing. Look at this. He's healing every disease and sickness. So get the picture. Jesus is elbow deep into the needs of the world. He has seen disease. He's seen illness. He's healing. He's preaching. He's ministering. Okay. He's outward focused. He's not thinking about like, oh man, where's my you know food going to come from tomorrow? I better, I'm really worried about it. No, he is seeking first the kingdom of God, right? He's outward focused. He's elbow deep into the needs of the world. And then verse 36, he says this, says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Notice where his heart's at. His hearts are with those broken people. His heart is not on, is everything going to work out? Is, is, is my boss going to treat me right? You know, is the guy on the freeway going to learn how to drive? Like all the things that we just get focused on, we think about, his heart is not there. His heart is with the people who are hurting. And it says this, look what he says. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus sees this need and his heart hurts for it. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What is his next words, guys? Ask the Lord of the harvest 
to send workers. Guys, check this out. Jesus is praying a kingdom prayer. Guys, I want to tell you something. We need to pray more kingdom prayers. Guys, we need to pray for daily bread. Absolutely, you need to pray for daily bread. Do not hear me say, don't take your needs to the Lord in prayer. But friend, if that's where we stop in the Lord's prayer, we've missed it because he doesn't stop there. We don't stop with praying for daily bread. We end up praying for thy kingdom to come and thy will to be done. That's a kingdom kind of prayer, church, where our hearts are now affected by what affects God's heart, where our heart is hurting for what hurts God's heart, Instead of anxiety about my needs, right? I say, Lord, you're going to take care of my needs and I'm going to experience peace when I turn that over to you. But God, I'm going to stop investing so much of worry into tomorrow so that I miss the mission of today. God, instead, I want to be the kind of human being, the kind of man, the kind of Jesus follower who feels the way you feel, who looks at this world that's so hurting and says, God, bring more workers God, give us more resources. Guys, let me tell you, it's when you get close to the needs is when you start praying those prayers. When your world is only focused on your little life, how are you any different than a non-Christian? How's that any different than anyone else? If our world is just focused on our retirement and our next vacation and And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but guys, that should just be a footnote in the the drama of our life. Our real life should not be focused on that. It should be on, God, how's your kingdom gonna grow? How's my neighbor gonna meet Jesus? How's this injustice gonna be met with the good news of the gospel? How is Jesus gonna invade our city? Come on, I'm gonna start really preaching now, you guys. How are we gonna start seeing life change? How are we gonna see people that are in addiction, in addiction set free? How are we gonna see people who've been broken through this pandemic and are grieving the loss of their loved ones in care groups that they have finally support, people that walk alongside of them and say, hey man, I am with you, you are not alone. The lie of the enemy that's killing our kids that are bringing this, just depression and all of this deception into our, our, our young people, we, we say, listen, there is a God in heaven and he loves you and you're not alone and he cares for you and he's running after you and he's not content to let one sheep go astray. That's who our God is. He'll leave the 90 and 90. He'll go after that one. He'll come running for you. That's who our God is. Can I get an amen to that? Man, that's good news to preach. That's some good news to tell people. So how do you get there? How do you get transformed into that kind of person? You pray. You pray every day in that direction. God, make me a kingdom kind of man. Make me a kingdom kind of woman. Make me a kingdom Christian. God, may may my heart break for what breaks yours. Start volunteering at places. Start getting closer to the problems. I gotta tell you a quick story and I'm out of time, but there's no service after this, so we're okay. I have a friend and this, this friend of mine felt led by the Lord to try to help a young man, a young man that's in a really dark place. He's been suicidal. He's burned every relationship in his life. He has trouble with the law. He's got a court date coming up. He's been homeless. He's all this stuff. And I've watched my friend try to come alongside of this person and try to help him. And it's frustrating 
because you make one step forward and two steps back and then three steps forward and two steps back and you know how that is. And the other day, my friend was telling me about his prayer walk. And he said, uh, there may or may not have been a few cuss words in my prayer life. I'm sorry, Brad. He's frustrated. <sighs> Why? Because he got close to the problem. And what bothers God is now bothering him. And what's affecting God's heart is affecting his heart. And he doesn't like the fact that there's not a good place for this guy who needs help. And he's struggling with what, how do we help him? What do we do about this problem? And you know what? He's bothering me with the problem. I'll be honest with you. Guys, that's how new things start. Come on. That's how new ministries are birthed. They're birthed out of pain and passion for the things that break God's heart. Guys, what is this, this church gonna do in the next 20 years? What ministries are we gonna do? Guys, what ways are we gonna serve this city? What, how, here it is, how is Henderson gonna look different because this group of Christians started praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can't wait. I'm grabbing some popcorn because God's about to work and I can't wait to see him and he's gonna use us to do it. That's the message and that's the end of this prayer series. So I want you guys to pray that kind of way. Amen. Let's all stand together. All right, come on. You might be here this morning and you're visiting our service and you're not a Christian and you think we're crazy. That's okay. Because there's part of what we talked about today that I think appealed to you. I think there was something that spoke to your heart, something. It might've been the fact that there's a God who loves you despite what you've done. No matter what your shame feels, no matter what your soundtrack in your brain says, the thought that there's a God who loves you despite everything might've appealed to you. The idea that God wants to take away your anxious thoughts. Maybe you came to church and you're full of anxious thoughts. I wanna ask you today, I wanna to invite you today to lay that down at Jesus' feet. The book of 1 Peter, which we didn't look at today, has a wonderful line. And it says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you.